the Skyflow Stoics podcast where presenters Robert Kuhn and Colin Hay present ancient Stoic philosophy to modern ears in the hope that people may find some inner freedom. Right, welcome everybody. Back to another episode of the Scotland Stoics. My name is Robert Keenan and I will be your presenter for today. And I've got a wonderful guest over from Florida. Could you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Brittany Polat. I am in Florida at the moment where it's nice and sunny. Um, yeah, I've been studying Stoicism for a number of years now, and I've gotten involved with modern Stoicism. I have a website called Living in Agreement, where I explore kind of how to be, how to live in agreement with nature in the 21st century and how we can apply Stoicism to our lives today. So yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Brittany. And it's happy to, happy to have you here too. I'm just looking outside my living room window just now. We have not as sunny as Florida. We've got a wee bit of grey clouds, <laughs> but that's okay. You've been to Scotland before. You know what the weather's like. We came four seasons in one day, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to, when the, what we do with this podcast, Brittany, is we always try our best to get to know our guests before we start speaking about stoicism. So every episode I always open up with the question, ask somebody, usually, who are you, Brittany? If you have your introduction that, but most importantly, where are you from? Where do you stay now? And what was it like growing up where you stayed? Thanks. Yeah, I've really enjoyed enjoyed this portion of your podcast before getting to know guests. So thank you for asking. Um, well, I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I grew up um, with two sisters and a brother. So pretty big family for these days. I had a very uneventful childhood, so not much to tell, but I do think, you know, all of us looking back on our lives as adults, and especially those of us who are interested in stoicism, we kind of look at where we are today and see how we got there, you know, all the paths that have led us to who we are today. So I like to look back at my childhood and see, oh yeah, okay, so that's where I started, you know, developing this kind of idea. And it kind of helps you to be able to rechannel your thoughts these days into something a little bit more productive. So just as an example, when I look back in my childhood, you know, I, I didn't like being in suburban America, the most boring place in the world, right? <laughs> so I was always dreaming about being somewhere else. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe the books I read or, or the movies I was into, but I had this idea that Europe was going to be the best place in the world me. So as a teenager in America, I was, I became a total Europhile. I learned French, German, you know, read all I could. And my entire goal when I went to university was to live in Europe. I didn't really care about career aspirations or anything like that. So this was in my mind. So this is what I did. I went to university. I spent two of my three years traveling around Europe. I then went to grad school in Europe. I ended up teaching English in Turkey for a year. I lived in, I don't know, maybe five or six countries, France, Germany, Austria, Britain, Turkey, everywhere. And it's really interesting because I always, as a teenager, I always looked out and thought, oh, I'm going to be so happy if I can just get what I want. You know, if I achieve my dreams, it's going to be a perfect life. And I repeatedly found that it didn't happen. You know, my, my first trip to France, I was living in a little, um, 
on a cobblestone street, you know, it's the stuff of my dreams. <laughs> this you know, 16th century house with a cobblestone street. There was a huge cathedral in my backyard and I was like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. And I still wasn't happy. <laughs> and so then I had this experience repeated over and over again. So looking back, I'm like, yeah, now I know as a Stoic why I wasn't happy. It's because external things like that are never gonna make you happy no matter where you live, no matter where you are, what kind of job you have, it's the stuff that's inside that makes you happy, right? So I don't know if you've had experiences like that as well. No, I definitely have had many experiences. I think growing up, it was um, it was always trying to strive because I was from quite a working class background when I grew up. And um, so academic attainment wasn't something that as a family was not, in fairness, it was probably a bit harsh because there was females in the family who attained it. But for the males, it was a kind of working class outlook, yeah. you know, work alongside your father, for the local your council, you know. Um, I did that, but I didn't really aspire to anything other than getting some material wealth in, you know. And that was like most Western societies is that, you know, we, we try and accumulate right. goods and wealth. Whereas, you know, now, obviously, practicing stoicism is that the work starts for the inside and works its way out, you know what I mean? Which is kind of leading us on to the next question, you know, because... Obviously, I always ask the guests is, how did you get introduced to stoicism in your life? And was it quite young? Was it quite profound? And did you practice the principles um, early? Because a lot of people who I've known, you know, one in particular I was interviewing was Rob Coulter. He was he was um, teaching stoicism for a number of years, but was only given the the, you know, the, the, the knowledge of it rather than the practical element of it. And uh, didn't take the teachings on board till eventually 20 years later. So my, my question to you is, how, how did you get introduced to Stoicism? And did you take the teachings on instantly? Or was that something that became gradual? Yeah, for me, it was instant. I came to it at a time in my life when I was really looking for, for guidance, looking for a way out. It was, um, I had three children, three young children. It was shortly after my third child was born. We had moved to a new town. I had kind of left my career. I didn't know anyone in the town. I had no family or friends. Here I was, you know, taking care of three kids. And it was a really, really difficult time for me. I didn't really have a clear sense of what I should do, not just as a parent, but as a person. You know, I didn't know what my next step was going to be. Um, I was had a lot of depression and anxiety. And one day I just sat down and typed onto Amazon books about wisdom. Literally, I just typed in wisdom. And one of the books that came up was Bill Irvin's A Guide to the Good Life. So, you know, it, it's a cliche, right? But that is, I think that's how a lot of people come to it. You need it. You go looking for it and you find what you need, right? So that was my first book. And then, you know, I just went on from there to, to continue reading and get deeper and deeper into it. So, yeah, that was my story. That's really interesting. Um, my experience is very similar. You know, I um, I, uh, I I struggled with addiction issues, right? But but the byproduct is the addiction issues created stuff like anxiety, and depression, which mm -hmm. you spoke about. And Bill Irvine was the, the first like kind of stoic book I read. You know, I, I read um, the the Darren Brown book. I didn't read it all. I started on the Darren Brown book on happiness because I was seeking something after uh, coming to with this uh, after the effects of addiction issues and, and trying to work 12-step fellowship program um, stuff into my life 
but was a bit of conflict with it due to the, my belief system. So when I became, when I read that book with Darren Brown, I started to read it. There was two two main schools that came up. Well, not two schools, but first and foremost, Stoicism came up, which I wanted to know more about. And we talked about Arthur, Arthur Schopenhauer, as you know, is, is a German philosopher. Read about Arthur and Schopenhauer stuff. Excellent read, you know, some of the stuff, but maybe a wee bit too grim for me. But what I liked about Stoicism, it was like, it led me on to reading more stuff about Stoicism. And my first book on Stoicism, written by a modern Stoic, was Bill Irvine's too. And, and I loved the, the stuff he, he wrote about the, the, and the practicality. And what I loved about Bill Irvine's book was that you could take the teachings in it and what you could, you could implement it in your life in a, in a simple manner. But it also, it was compatible with my 12-step program work I was working in the fellowships I was involved with. Because I, instead of me using the word God, which was, which was used a lot in 12-step program work, I seen it as good orderly direction, and the and the belief system I had, with, which was becoming more prominent with stoicism, I replaced that with my higher power. You know what I mean? Because I know later on we're going to talk about your website and the stuff that you talk about humanist stoicism, which I'm really interested to get to. But I'm not there yet. But I can relate to a lot of the things you says there. You know, it's it's, it's it was he's a great guy. He speaks as well. I've had him on a podcast. You know, really really nice guy, Bill as well. So thanks for uh, telling us all about that. Um, so the next question I'm going to ask you is um, you've wrote a book which the title is obviously Tranquility in it which is great because a lot Bill Irving talks a lot about that as you know you know what I mean but you use um, you use always I'd imagine a lot of the teachings that you got from stoicism and then implement that into um, being a better parent you know and that's what's worked for me so how did that work for you? Could you let us know and let the guests know? Thanks. Yeah. Well, since we were talking about a guide to the good life, I, I will say it was it was a huge influence on me. And I actually, I love his idea about having a philosophy of life. And I, I kind of brought that over into tranquility parenting too, because I wrote the book for people who might not know anything about stoicism or might not normally want to pick up a book on philosophy. You know, most people don't think, oh, I'm going to, I need a philosophy book to tell me how to live. You know, it's, it's just not on most people's radar. So I start there from step one, talking about how we all need a philosophy of life. And, you know, I recognize that not everybody likes stoicism. It doesn't necessarily appeal to everybody. But even if you don't pick stoicism as your philosophy of life, you need to have something, right? whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're, you become an Epicurean or whatever it is. So I think just the very act of sitting down and thinking carefully about what you want to do and your key principles in life. Um, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times that you don't have a religious uh, ideology guiding you. I don't either. So I think, and that's becoming increasingly common, right? So if you don't have that traditional you know, religious framework, what do you do? I think that's one reason stoicism has become really really popular and really necessary today. So the very first step, I think, for anybody is to figure out what your life philosophy is. And then if you're a parent, you want to tie in your parenting philosophy to your life philosophy. One thing I noticed, you know, after I had my kids, I had no idea what to do, right? I guess most people don't. But what do you do? You start researching on the internet, right? Parenting books, you know, you you look at what other people are doing. But one thing that really bothered me is that all of the information 
not all of it, but a lot of it is conflicting. So you'll have like one person who says, oh, you need to let your baby cry it out so they can learn how to sleep through the night. Then another person says, oh, that's the most horrible thing you can do. You need to have attachment parenting and never let them leave your side. You know, so there's all this conflicting information for parents. And I think what you need to do is have an anchor. How do you know what to pick here? Which, which one of these is the right way to go? Well, you need to be guided by your life philosophy. So instead of just developing a parenting philosophy ad hoc, you know, just based on whatever is in vogue, you need to tie your whole parenting philosophy into your life philosophy. And that will make you stronger. It will make your ability to connect with your children stronger so that when you are doing hard things, making difficult decisions for your kids or having to discipline and correct them, you're tying everything together, right? One big thing about stoicism is it's coherent. You want to be a coherent person. You're not compartmentalizing like in this sphere of my life, I'm going to act this way. In this sphere, I'm going to act a different way. No, you want to be the same person. You want to act with the same reasons in the same ways, no matter what you're doing. So I think linking who you are as a parent to who you are overall as a person is really important. No, I think that's a fair point. And it's, I love that talk about coherence, which we'll probably speak about in the next, not next question, but the question after, and, uh, which is which is prominent in your uh, website, which I was reading today, and it's, it's fantastic. And it's actually, I speak, spoke to you before I come online. It's brought a lot of things together for me by just reading that. So I thank you for that. The, the next question I'm going to ask you is, how do you bring all that stuff together that you learn from stoicism? but also help it with parenting. So the question is, right, so we, we use as practicing stoics, we use a number of techniques. You know, we use view from above, journaling, um, the dichotomy of control, different techniques in stoicism. So the first question is going to be in two parts. The first question, what is your kind of daily or at least weekly go-to? You know, we use quite a lot. But also, what would you recommend for would-be parents a technique to help with parenting? I know that might be quite a hard question to kind of, together but um it's, it's something i'm quite intrigued by you know you know maybe it could help me because i've got issues i don't but i'm really good with the dichotomy control you know i recognize it what's within my behaviors and my actions and my judgments so i sometimes find it hard to detach that from my son when he does something that's not great you know like behavioral issues that he's had to pass and that so um so i'm interested to hear what your answer is to that so you okay to go with yeah. that yeah, great question. So I tend to think of the exercises in two parts. One would be the things that you do kind of in preparation for adversity or in preparation for your day. So this would be things like, you know, premeditation of adversity, or um, I, I always do some kind of morning reading and reflection. I like to read some kind of Stoic work, whether it's the original Stoics, like meditations or Epictetus's discourses or a modern Stoic work or some something related to Stoicism. So I always start my day with that, even if it's just 10 minutes. And I find that gets me in the right frame of mind so that when I do face challenges later on in the day, I can go back to that. And I think another important piece is not just the reading part, but also the reflection that you do about how it fits into your own life or how you can incorporate it into your own character. So I don't know if you do this as well, but you know, when you're reading the meditations, for example, you're not just reading it in a theoretical manner. You're thinking, oh yeah, that makes sense based on what I've seen this person do or based on my anger yesterday. 
you know, you're always interpreting it for how you apply it to your own character. So that's crucial, I think. And that enables you later on when you do need to apply it to your own character with your child or wherever you are with your coworker, whatever you're doing, it comes more easily because you've already thought about how it is a part of you or how you can apply it. So one, one very essential thing is that kind of preparation exercise. And then the other would be the exercises or the techniques that you use in the moment. So when you're actually, you know, your son comes up to you and says, you know, starts back talking or doesn't want to comply with what you're asking him to do, right? As all teenagers do, what do you do in that moment? So that's when kind of the, the other techniques come to play. And you mentioned the dichotomy of control. I think it's also helpful to think about, you know, his, his autonomy, the child's autonomy, and also your overall relationship with him and how you want him to look at you in 30 years you know, when he's an adult. How do I want him to remember mom or dad? Because the kids are always watching us, as, as we all know, right? They, they are always watching us, even if they don't appear to be watching, even if they act like they're ignoring us. They pick up on our, on our actions and on our approach to the world. So I think it's helpful to kind of be able to distance yourself from that emotion in the moment as well. And so you could do the, the view from above exercise when you're in the moment. I always remind myself when I'm dealing with a, a difficult situation with my kids, okay, so there are billions of kids in the world. There's a very good chance that at least several million of them are misbehaving in this moment right now, right? It's not just my kid, this is a normal part of life. Think about all the millions of other frustrated parents out there right now at this moment. You know, it's it's a part of life. It's part of the festival. Epictetus talks about the festival of life. So, you know, let's try to enjoy the experience while we're here and, you know, think about it from a different angle instead of being caught up in this moment, you know, the, the tussle of the, the argument. Just step back and say, this is part of the human experience. It's going to pass my child's going to grow up and how do I want him to remember this and, and relate to me in 20 or 30 years? So that's, that's kind of what I do when I'm facing a difficult moment. No, it was, I was, when I was listening to you, I was thinking of some experiences I've had with my son with that. And there's been challenging times, you know, really, really challenging times. And when we, I was speaking to you about the dichotomy control, I recognize which was within my power, especially my judgments about things. And I love when you say there that, you know, nothing lasts forever. It always changes. And what I always try my best is to be consistent with them throughout. So you spoke about anger. So one of my, my traits, character traits growing up was I was a very angry young man. I used to, um, you know, be destructive with my anger, um, abusive, aggressive and that. And some, I'm seeing similar traits within him. But what I find with me is that if I retaliate back with that same anger, then it only creates more conflict. And then right. he sees that as being okay. And it's not been the case and it was... And uh, I think if you were to ask me if what his stoicism gave me the greatest in the last four years would be the recognition of what's within my power through the dichotomy control, but also in the techniques of dealing with my anger, you know. And I did that by listening to Seneca, uh, Epictetus talks about it, and so forth. So I do try those techniques, but I must admit there's sometimes the frustration. I think, and I don't know if you agree with this, I'm really good at working with other people within the community. I'm all good at working with people within the fields of addiction, um, even within the workplace. Um, I organise a lot of events 
um, that people participate in and are brilliant at working alongside people, which is the stuff we're going to talk about in the next question. You know, with the central theme of stoicism and further development here. <laughs> but big but <laughs> is it seeming it's your own? It's so much more frustrating because the expectations, I suppose, are, I don't, and I know I've got power over my judgments. And I find that difficult at times with, with, with my expectations because when it's your own boy and, and or your own ch uh, child, um, it's I find it's a wee bit harder to have that wee bit more tolerance that I would have maybe we're using stoic techniques. And I don't know if that's an instinctive uh, parenting thing, but I don't know if you've had similar experiences of that too, you know? Yeah, no, it is because you have some sort of, you know, authority over your child and responsibility yeah. for them. So it is a completely different relationship than with another set of children who you don't have that same authority, responsibility, and relationship with. So I think another thing that is helpful is, so the dichotomy of control can take you pretty far, but ultimately what we're trying to do is change our value judgments about the situation. So one thing, before I became a Stoic, I would always tell myself, okay, just be patient. Just keep being patient. Just keep being patient. You know, you got to be patient. They're, they're children. They don't know. But eventually, if you just keep being patient, you're going to crack, right? <laughs> yeah. At some point, yeah. you just can't take it anymore. And you're going to crack and, you know, you're going to explode and that anger or frustration is going to come out. So as Stoics, what we want to do is eliminate the frustration in the first place by changing our value judgment. Yeah. So instead of holding in your anger and frustration, you want to change your perspective on the situation so that it doesn't even seem like a bad thing to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that way you don't have to keep being patient. There's no anger to hold in. There's mm -hmm. no anger that can burst out because it's, you don't think anything bad is happening to you in the first place. Does yeah. that make sense? No, it does make sense. It makes, it makes complete sense. It's like, uh, there's a Marcus Aurelius quote about that, something along those lines, you know, if, if you're not offended, you won't be offended, you know, it's like, exactly. it's in your power not to be, you know, I like that, I like that. And and as, as I say, see, I'm, I'm, most of the time I'm okay, but sometimes <laughs> I just, you know, and I think, yeah. and it's good because we're going to speak about it soon anyways, and the next question, it's like, I'm never going to be the ideal safe, so I don't beat myself up if I do, if I do get sometimes upset. But what I recognise now, and you 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 agree with this probably, is that see if I ever do get slightly angry, I'm more conscious of it now. Whereas mm -hmm. see in the past, I was never conscious of it, so I would let it go and I would just keep going and keep going with it. Whereas now, if I if I if I get uptight about something, I go I maybe just re retaliate a little bit, but then I've just come back down so much quicker because it's. I've, I've, I've let myself rationalize it and come back into it. Instinctively, we react quicker than our power of reason. But when we do that, we can bring it back around. That's where stoicism's helped me massively, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I'm looking forward to this next question. Um, you've got a website called Living in Agreement With. And I was accessing it. I was researching some of the stuff in it. And it's excellent stuff on there. Um for anybody who's a would-be stoic and learning the basics, this can enhance his stuff a wee bit more development in there. So I always am going to ask you about um, the website, but kind of subtopic and your question to that is if you could, while you're kind of explaining the website, could we could we discuss what a living in agreement with nature is? Um, and you could tell us a wee bit about coherence and development. I'd be happy with that. Okay, thanks. 
Yeah, yeah. So going way back to Zeno, I mean, this is what the ancient Stoics said was the goal of our life is to live in agreement. And later Stoics added on living in agreement with nature apparently so of course our sources are a little bit muddy you know so much of the ancient stoic writings have been lost so scholars have gone back and kind of pieced everything together and we do have some fragments but apparently zeno his formulation was live in agreement the purpose our end goal in life is to live in agreement and he says because those who are not in agreement who don't live in agreement with themselves are unhappy so this goes into the idea of coherence, and it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. And the later Stoics talked about this as well. Epictetus talks about it. I think Seneca talks about it. If you're always bouncing around from one point of view to another, your actions are going to be inconsistent, and you're never going to have that clear purpose in life that can guide you and anchor you and give you a solid idea about what you're doing. We want to be able to have the same goal in all of our actions, and that goal is virtue. So for me, it took me a while to figure out why virtue should be the end point of our actions. And I really think it has to do with, you know, our excellence as a person. If you think about what it means to be an excellent human being, if you look around, if you looked across every society in the world, what does it mean to have excellence as a human? And we always see that humans live in groups. We are very, very social animals. So part of being an excellent human has to do with getting along with other people, right? And living well with others. Uh, another thing that every you know, normal human being has is this intelligent rationality. We have the capacity to be rational. So the ancient Stoics identified these two capacities as some of the primary ways of being an excellent person, our rationality, using your intelligence, and your sociability. So these two qualities are, you know, representative of what it means to be a person, and therefore being an excellent person today includes um, the, the virtues of justice, so being generous and fair and just towards other people, as well as wisdom, and also self-control and courage. So looking at all these things together and ways of being an excellent person, if you always keep these in your mind, you're always going to be wanting the same thing. You're going to be wanting to, to have that excellence, to demonstrate that excellence in your actions and to have that inner excellence in your character. If you pursue that at all times, you will be a coherent person. You'll live a very meaningful, rich life because you are doing what a person is supposed to do. So to me, it's, it's about finding that meaning in life. That sounds so, you know, cheesy, <laughs> but, but it is, it, it's that single purpose that unites all of your actions, all of your thoughts and who you are. No, it's, it's, it's great. The explanation you gave there and see when I was reading this today, I love how you brought the living in agreement with nature with virtue is one thing, you know, it's like, when I was uh, studying Stoicism, I was always seeing it as separate component parts, you know. I knew it always it came under one underlying philosophy, but the day with the living agreement with nature is like, for me to live in agreement with nature, I know I'm, I'm a social creature, yep. And what I try and do is do my best to give back to the community, right? But what's the signpost that helped me do that? You know, and you spoke about it in one of, your, in the, one of the articles, or I think it might have been the essay, it's like the ideal sage is somebody who we look up to. We're never going to aspire to be as close to that, you know, and the sage right. uh, is 
the most courageous person, you know, the person who's really wise, gives you wise words of wisdom, lives by what they believe in, you know, they've got self-control, they, they don't overindulge in anything, um, the justice, they, they go out and they help their fellow man continually, you know, continually, you know, but I think that people throughout history of that, you know, and especially with reading stuff in philosophy, you know, you look at Socrates, you know, Cato the Younger, you know what I mean? Um, maybe not perfect human beings, but the closest you would, you would get to an ideal state, you know. Marcus Aurelius to a degree, you know, I, I like a lot of his stuff, um, but he was flawed as well, you know, a lot of Epictetus and stuff. So I thought that was great. I also, you know, our cognitive ability, and you know, what separates us is, is from the animalistic world is that power of reason, you know, and it's to use that reason to good force, you know, and that was some of the stuff I was, you know. The other thing that, that you wrote, in the article, which I thought was great, or I think it was on the development, or I think it was coherence, actually. And this, you know yourself, there's like three main elements of stoicism. So we've got the logic, and we've got the ethics, and we've got the physics. And what I loved how you put this so simplistic and made it so easily accessible to me, because I would always tell you that oh, I really agree with the ethics part. I'm not too sure about the logic, and I'm not so sure about the physics, you know? And that was one of the main reasons why I started the podcast up, was for me to learn as I discuss stoicism with other guests. So I'm doing that today. And I loved how you spoke about logic and you spoke about the inner workings, you know, the virtues from the inside, you know, being courageous to go out, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll use a slight swear word here, you know, getting moved off my ass, you know, Scotland would say your bum, you know, to go and do the things that I need to do. That's courage, you know, um, to be there for your family, you know, courageous acts and, and being there, um, being wise to make right decisions, you know, that's all logical inner stuff that's inner within me, you know, no, don't overindulge, you know, don't overindulge self-control and justice, which leads us on to the next part, you know, how am I good to myself, but how also am I good to other people, and you spoke about that through the ethics, which I thought was great, you know, ethically I think I'm really good because I do a lot of 12-step work and I do a lot of stuff around about the podcast and I, again, I take groups of people into the house and so forth and we work together as a team, so ethically, I think that's great. But I love the bit you, you talk about the physics, the external world, and how we relate to that. And I've got a guest coming on in uh, May, Kai Whiten, as you know, you know. And Kai's an environmentalist, as you know, and, and he talks about our relationship with the physical world and that, and the, the decisions we, we should do run about virtue, you know. So I was, I was, I thought that was remarkable and great how you brought all that together to make it so un accessible and easily understandable, you know. Because I, I struggled with that for a while, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you like that. I mean, everything I've done with the website and all my writing in general is me trying to understand that as well. I think everybody should understand your principles for yourself, right? Nobody should just accept stoic principles on faith. You're not doing it, oh, just because so-and-so said so, right? So I think we each have to develop that understanding for ourselves about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and it is practical. I mean, it sounds like you, it's very practical for you. I know for me in my life, it's all based on my practice. And a lot of my understanding has been influenced by Pierre Hadot. I don't know if you have read any of Hadot's works. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I said, yeah, I've read parts of it. Yeah, it's very theoretical, but a yeah, lot of what I kind of struggled a bit. Yeah, it is. But um, a lot of what he said, I, I've kind of, 
adapted into my own life. And to me, this is the way it makes sense is thinking about the three relationships. So, you know, the logic is your inner discourse, the way you talk to yourself, the way you relate to yourself, it's your relationship with yourself, what's going on in your head. I mean, that's what, yeah, that's what logic is, the discipline of assent. So you're, you're dealing with the impressions, you're saying, okay, I assent to this impression that this is a bad thing to me, for me, or I don't assent. So it's really important to have that inner dialogue in your head. Just like you were saying earlier, you're able to kind of step back from your anger and be aware of when it's happening. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's all that process of the, the logic, the inner discourse. Mm-hmm. And then the ethics is your relationship with the social world, with other people. That's pretty straightforward. And then for me, so this is my interpretation, right? That physics is your relationship with the wider world. To me, I don't need a philosophy to tell me you know, anything about a higher power. I don't think that's the role of a life philosophy. A life philosophy should be based on life, right? Things that we can easily, easily see and easily observe. I don't think you should base it on something that's uncertain or something that you can't see. But the relationship for physics should tell us how our relationship should be with the external world. We should be grateful, you know, we should be Um, filled with wonder when we contemplate the natural world. We should take care of it. We should treat it reverently. So all of these things are important components of our relationship with the wider world, including nature, you know, the natural world. Um, So to me, it's those three relationships and that's how I look at it. And I, you know, my lens is humanist stoicism through its I take the the human being to be the center of our efforts here, not because humans are more important than other parts. We're not, but humans are our point of reference, right? We are humans. So, so let's think about our relationship to, to ourselves, to other people and to the wider world. Yeah, I think that's great. And I liked when you spoke about Pierre Hadot because he has got a lot of um, influence how modern stoicism came about. And more importantly, for the people who don't know, he was one of the kind of founding fathers of which, which, which came to, which was CB, uh, what's the name? Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT therapy, you know? And I find that I find that remarkable and all the summaries of the work that he did because I've done a bit of CBT therapy, it's really good, you know. Um and it's and it's as basis of the core as in stoicism, you know. Epictetus, as you know, talked about ascent and it's like the CBT therapy is, is really great because I'll come up with a thought in my mind, which will then create an emotion, and then it's usually after the emotion's a reaction. Yeah. And it's that wee bit in the middle where I get the thought. I don't have to create that emotion for me to react, you know, if it's a bit negative, you know, and that was very simplistic and it was tying up the stuff that Epictetus says when I read about it, but also the stuff with Hado. But as you, as I mentioned to you, I found Hado quite difficult to engage with because he's quite, um, how is the best way to say it? It's very academic, you know, um, the stuff, but, but the stuff I did read, I did enjoy it, you know. Yeah, he, he is very academic. So yeah, the, the Albert Ellis and the CBT, yeah. Um, and, and Aaron Beck, that's, yeah, that's all. Yeah, sorry, that was him. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Then I came off of that, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So I've only really got one more question for you now. Uh, give me two seconds. But it's always typical technology not working on is my phone just coming <laughs> with all my questions. Um, so the last question I have is, uh, right, so we've got, as you know, some excellent original sources of material that we, we we can go to for reading for the Stoics and some current books in Stoicism. What would you, what would you recommend 
for kind of current, sorry, current, well, we could go for current first this time, kind of current books, and we've already spoken about Bill Irvine um, and one of his books. Have you got any other recommendations that you would give the listeners on current books and also some of the ancient stuff we could go back to? Yeah, well, there we're lucky that we do have a lot of modern Stoics writing today. I mean, I love Donald Robertson's book, How to Think yeah. Like a Roman Emperor. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff, but I find even more, I think it's important to kind of tie other things that you're reading, other things that you're watching or listening to back into Stoicism, which is kind of hard to do. But um, I feel like the more that we can tie our our hobbies, you know, you, you're sitting down watching Netflix, what are you going to watch? Are you going to choose something that can kind of help you develop as a, as a person into an excellent person? Or are you going to choose something that's really mindless and not very, um, not very good for your mind, right? So I think part of the challenge is picking something that's going to keep, keep um, improving our minds. And it's hard to find stuff out there, it really is. But, but I think if you look hard enough, you can find, you know, types of entertainment or hobbies, um, you know, things that don't contradict who you are as a Stoic, but yeah. will complement that as well. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I think the more you're able to fill your mind with um, aspirational goals, for example, you know, just, yeah. just watching movies about people doing heroic deeds, it doesn't have to be a Stoic. There's not, there's not a lot of popular culture out there with Stoic stuff, but um, things that, that lift your mind up and show you maybe what the potential of a human is and inspiring things and, you know, documentaries and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I get it. You know, there's, I, I think historically there's there's many figures who live a stoic life but wouldn't define themselves as, as practicing stoic. Right. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's like his, many, many figures, you know, throughout the world. Um, what do you think about kind of ancient texts? What's your kind of go-to if you were to go back over any ancient texts or for reading like meditations and so forth? Yeah, Epictetus is my favorite. Yeah, discourses. me too. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. I find if I go too long without reading the discourses, my mind starts to to not go in the right places. You know, I have to keep my mind focused on what Epictetus is telling me to do. So yeah, I try to read it almost every day if possible to keep my mind in the right place. Yeah, no, that's some excellent. So Epictetus, I love these bluntness. He's like straight yeah. to the point, you know, <laughs> yeah. no messing about, you know. So we was, I think it was last episode, I was discussing this with somebody, I think it was Stoic Dan, and we said he is, he's just so ruthless, you know, a bit. Some of the stuff that you see, people get put off with, you know, he talks about the like, children and, you know, and, and dying and that and, and seeing it's, it's how possible it is. And it's true, you know, it can happen. But, but the way people forget is that they, they don't put it in the context of when it was written. It was written when child mortality was, mortality was very, very scarce. You know, kids were dying all the time, you know. You just need to look at the likes of Marcus Aurelius, you know, 13 kids, only five survived, you know. So I think that's, a, that's where a lot of people get put off with but. He is brutally blunt in what he says, but straight to the point. That's what I like about him. So I've got no more questions for you, Danny. I think it's been an excellent interview. Before we finish up, I'd just like to ask um, if anybody wants to get in contact with you, any questions that have been on the, the programme today, how can you do that? You can reach me through livinginagreement.com or I'm also on Twitter. Um, if you are a parent and you're on Facebook, you can join us on our Stoic Parents Facebook group. Just search for that. We've got lots of conversations and resources there for parents specifically. But yeah, just, um, you know, don't feel like you're alone in your Stoic practice for, for listeners. 
there is a thriving and growing community of Stoics. So it really helps to reach out and talk with other people, see how other people are incorporating Stoicism into their life. Um, and yeah, I would be happy to talk with anyone who has questions. So feel free to get in touch. Yeah, thanks for that, Brittany. And same over here, we've got the fellowships growing as well. We've got the Scotland Stoics webpage. Anybody who wants to come on can join and we discuss all aspects of Stoicism. So thanks for being an excellent guest. Then uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon in the future. Uh, have you got any, any work coming out soon, uh, Brittany? I forgot to ask you that. Have you got any work you're working on just now? Oh, yeah. Um, well, we do have the a conference coming up for women. Yeah, good. Stoicon X Women, and it, our theme is Practical Paths to Flourishing. We have Sharon LaBelle doing a keynote. We've got Karen Duffy talking about creativity. We've got a whole panel discussing how to be creative, creative as a Stoic. Um, we've got relationships and caring. So it's going to be a really great conference. It's open to anybody. Anyone is welcome to attend. And you can find more information on our Eventbrite site, Practical Paths to Flourishing. Brilliant. And what's the date of that again? Is it 6th of June, is it? It's June 5th, yes. June 5th, okay. Yes. Well, thanks again. Brilliant. You've been a great guest and uh, a lot of really informative stuff there. And I'll be taking some of that on board myself. So I'd just like to thank you again and listen in for the next guest. Get on in a couple of weeks' time, guys. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye.